0: This presidential election year, stagnant wages and growing income inequality are issues that concern voters and candidates on the left and on the right. In publishing, the mixed results of a recent salary survey could bring those concerns to the next editorial meeting. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. In 2015, according to a Publishers Weekly survey just released, industry salaries rose over the previous year, but not much, and the wide paid gap between men and women persisted. PW senior writer Andrew Albanese joins me each Friday with the book Business News, and he has the numbers. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Uh, Well, so this week, uh, PW celebrated the talent in the publishing industry with a special event honoring the 45 stars that you named in your Star Watch program for 2016. And this week, we get a glimpse at what that talent is worth with PW's annual salary survey. So tell us about that.
1: Well, they're all underpaid. I can tell you that first and foremost, straight up. But, you know, that's right. Monday's issue of PW, we feature our annual salary survey. Uh, and the news this year is, you know, not too bad compared to previous years. Overall, publishing industry employees earned a raise. They earned a little more money in 2015 than they did in 2014, uh, with a median pay raise in 2015 about 2.8%, which is up from 2.5% in 2014. Moreover, the percentage of employees who responded to our survey who said that they received no raise, uh, that number actually fell uh, from 24% in 2014 to 15% in 2015. So more people got a raise, uh, fewer people had their salaries go down in 2015. Now, of course, I alluded to everybody being underpaid. Well, you know, publishing isn't exactly Goldman Sachs. I think we all in the industry pretty much know that by now. And I'm sure the people who listen to this podcast certainly know what I mean when I say that. Uh, so the median salary, if we get to the numbers here, uh, for publishing professionals who responded to our survey was just about 66,000 in 2015. And the largest portion, uh, the biggest percentage of the people who responded to the survey actually fell in the $40,000 to $60,000 range. Some more notable findings, meanwhile, the gender gap. You alluded to it uh, in your introduction. And in 2015, men earned an average of $96,000 uh, in the publishing business compared to an average of $61,000 for women. Uh, that is an astonishing pay gap to me. And furthermore, 72% of men reported that they earned $70,000 or more compared to just 41% of women earning that amount. Uh, the most common salary level for women was in the $40,000 to a sixty-nine thousand dollar range, and that was about forty-two percent of women who responded to the survey. And again, I'll just say that the persistence of this gap, especially in a publishing industry that is so built on the work of women, is just astounding to me. Uh, and then also we have diversity issues, which we, we started including in the survey a while back. Uh, and while diversity issues are getting a little more attention in publishing these days, it's not really making much of a difference when it comes to actual pay here. The percentage of Publishing employees actually who identified themselves as white or Caucasian uh, was 88% in 2015, and that's flat uh, over the previous year. So not a lot of difference on the diversity side here. Uh, And of course, in the age of income inequality, publishing is like many other industries here. When you're an executive, it pays much better. Publishing executives actually had some pretty good gains in 2015.
0: Well, before we get to that, I do have to say I, I agree with you. It really brings you up short when you see these numbers, uh, women earning something like two-thirds of what uh, men do on average, and, and uh, an industry that is almost 90% white. Uh, that's remarkable in 2016. But you mentioned executive pay, and it does always help to be the boss. So how did the bosses do?
1: So the bosses did quite well uh, in 2015. And most of this is based on stock, uh, over their salaries. And their salaries, though, you know, are significantly higher than employees, but not like you see in some other industries where CEOs can earn, you know, significant multiples of their, of their lowest paid employee. But, uh, you know, just one person really sort of stood out for me here. And I'll point you to the PW article to read about what some other executives made. But the person I wanted to highlight here was Barnes and Noble's recently ousted CEO Ron Boir. Boir brought in upward of eight Million dollars in the fiscal year that ended April 2016, with almost six million of that derived from stock awards he was given. This, in addition to a base salary of seven hundred eighty thousand uh, and a signing bonus that he got when he came on of about six hundred thousand, he also earned one point one seven seven million dollars in incentive pay. Uh, and so, while Barnes and Noble has not disclosed what exit package he got for his just about one year on the job at Barnes and Noble, uh, suffice it to say he did pretty well financially during. The- That one year. Uh, Again, as to what the other executives in the industry made, you can check out Monday's issue. And I'll just take this moment before we move on to note that my starting salary as an editorial assistant at Penguin USA in 1989 here in New York City was $13,400 a year.
0: I have to add, Andrew, that right around the same time uh, when I was a freelance writer, I was often paid in the low two figures to use uh, Calvin Trillin's <laughs> line. But anyway, uh, happily, things have improved a bit uh, for both of us. So um, we mentioned about diversity issues in publishing. We mentioned about the uh, pay gaps for women and men. Uh, there is a bright spot, though, at least uh, not in publishing, but in our world. And that is uh, the news that uh, the historic day uh, occurred uh, uh, earlier this. This week on Wednesday, when Carla Hayden was sworn in as the 14th Librarian of Congress.
1: Yeah. You know, after all the political drama, which we talked about at length on this show in July, Carla Hayden on Wednesday was officially sworn in as the 14th Librarian of Congress. She is the first woman and the first African-American to ever hold the post. And before I forget to mention, I just want to remind people that they can actually go to the Library of Congress website and watch a video of the ceremony. Uh, and I have to say, I watched it. It was pretty moving. Uh, and I don't think that's ever been said of a Librarian of Congress swearing in ever. <laughs> but a few notable details for, you know, Hayden was sworn in by Supreme Court Justice, uh, Chief Justice, I should say, John Roberts, and Carla used the same Bible that was used to swear in presidents Abraham Lincoln and Barack Obama, which was held by her mother, Colleen Hayden. Uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan was also on hand, which I thought was a nice touch. And in her remarks, Carla Hayden acknowledged the historic nature of her appointment. She noted that as a descendant of people who were actually denied the right to read, to have the opportunity to serve and lead the Library of Congress, which she called the national symbol of knowledge, is truly a historic moment. Uh, She went on to call the library one of the greatest gifts and legacies Congress has ever given to the American people. That I certainly agree with. And noting that her ceremony was actually being streamed live over the internet, she said she was overwhelmed with the possibilities offered by technology, adding that she hoped to connect the library beyond Congress and beyond individuals in Washington, D.C. to help everybody make history themselves, which I thought was it was a, quite a nice statement and a nice touch for Carla. So a proud day for sure. Uh, and now Carla Hayden actually gets to do the job, which uh, she may soon wish she hadn't taken after all.
0: Well, maybe just a bit of hyperbole there, but I think I can – understand that you may be uh, hinting at uh, some of the challenges ahead for Carla Hayden. So what do you see life being like for her as she is now the Librarian of Congress?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I kid Carla Hayden, of course. You know, I'm sure she's up to the job. But as we've discussed a few times on this program when talking about the Librarian of Congress, she is the first librarian to be appointed in the digital age. And by many accounts, she has quite a mess to clean up there in terms of you know how the Library of Congress has worked with and embraced technology and what it's role is going to be going forward but i think what might be most concerning is that she's stepping into some some pretty politically dicey situation, specifically around copyright and around the future of the Copyright Office, which at some point is going to come off the back burner. Uh, and copyright reform and what's going to happen with the Copyright Office is actually going to become a legislative issue at some point. Uh, and that's probably going to happen during her tenure. Uh, and my greatest fear, of course, politically speaking, is that the, the ultra-conservative faction of the GOP that tried to block her nomination and has been mounting attacks on her, that they're going to rear their heads again. Our listeners might remember the the ugly criticism that came from the Heritage Foundation just weeks before she was set to be confirmed as Librarian of Congress, and then that there were a couple of anonymous holes from senators that tried to actually derail Hayden's nomination. Well, that may be the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's also a number of Tea Party GOP legislators who have been trying to force the library to use terms like illegal alien as subject headings. So Congress might actually step forward and try to dictate what the Library of Congress can actually use as, as headings, subject headings or not. To me, that seems like an incredibly dicey political situation. But I will say this for Carla Hayden. She is an incredibly strong leader and she has a long track record of being a leader. So I have no doubt she's going to step up to the challenges. But suffice it to say, the challenges both in terms of the work that lay ahead of her now and the sort of fractured Ugly politics that we see in this country are pretty unprecedented
0: indeed they are and, and the challenges as you say for her aren't simply the ones that we would expect the whole idea of updating the technology at uh, the library of congress and sort of keeping up with the explosion of uh, media that we are seeing in our age but the political challenges as well appreciate your analysis and the news every friday from andrew albany senior writer at Publishers weekly thanks for joining us My pleasure, as always. For the next episode of Beyond the Book, we mark the occasion of the second annual Peer Review Week. For centuries, reviewers labored anonymously. Now, a new generation of scholars spurred by the digital transformation of publishing are developing new forms of peer review. Verity Warren explains the goals for Peer Review Week and why reviewers deserve the spotlight.
1: What we're trying to with peer review week is just to open up the discourse so it's not an either or it's just let let's recognize what is good about peer review and let's provide a platform for this discussion to happen broadly across different communities
0: that's all coming up on the next episode of beyond the book Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with its subsidiaries rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is the global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.